Hey guys, welcome to Right Way, a podcast where we give you insight to make informed decisions about your writing career. I'm your host, Rhea Fry, multi-published author and CEO and founder of Right Way. And I'm Joe Tower, writer, media producer, and Right Way's executive editor. On this podcast, Rhea and I will take an inside look at the publishing industry with honest and straightforward shop talk. So when you do get published, you'll know exactly what to do the right way. I think actually like that's the good question is like why are why does the industry itself not live up to the same standards that it imposes on uh, potential published and prominent authors? A, a thousand percent. I mean, I deal with this every single day with myself as an author, but then with my clients where we go through this whole process together. Um, we, you know, dive so deeply into the marketing section. We beef up their author platform. We look at things we could do if they don't have strong numbers. And then when we go to pitch, all of these like big wig agents are often, you know, saying the same thing like, ah, just afraid that platform's not big enough or they're not doing enough or they haven't done enough. But then what has been baffling to me <laughs> since I entered this industry is every single literary agent I know, every single editor I know, even the publishing houses to some extent have no like such a tiny little digital footprint. Like I've had agents tell me, oh, I need to have a client that has at least 50,000 followers and yet they have 400 or 500. And so, I mean, it's the same thing, right? Like an author is vetting the agent and or editor just as much as the agent or editor is vetting them. So why does that double standard exist? Like, do I want an agent who doesn't have any sort of digital footprint either? Because they're also going to be promoting my work. They're going to be behind me as my biggest advocate. So shouldn't they be putting as much time and attention into their platforms as we are expected to? Shouldn't they have to, right? <laughs> Shouldn't they have to, right? But I mean, but that but that goes back to like I don't think they should have to. I don't think an author should have to. I think we all need to be spending time doing the real work <laughs> versus all of these vanity metrics that we have spoken about over and over again. But I do find it to be a really wild double standard in the industry where, you know, cuz I do my due diligence and Look at all the agents, you know, if we don't know them, I look them up if we're pitching our clients or if I'm trying to get to know, you know, one person or another person or, ooh, is this, is this, is this agent a great match for our potential client? And when, you know, yeah, there's, they've got like 200 followers and just all personal pictures and nothing about what they do or who they represent and you have to really dig, that can seem not attractive to the client that I'm trying to sell them on. You know what I mean? So it's it's very, very interesting. And I'm not sure why that's not brought up a little bit more. I think we should all be held to the same standards and it not be so one-sided on putting absolutely everything on the author's shoulders. Can I ask you a question? I, we've talked about this a number of times on the podcast. Uh, we'll even link to one of our po uh, previous podcast episodes about author platform. But in this day and age, when we're talking about platform, uh, what get what is what in your opinion does that entail? Yeah, I mean, this is the big one of the biggest misconceptions. It's what I spend the most time talking to potential clients about, and then actual clients about. But to me. An author platform means 
any, like it's anywhere that you have an engaged community, whether that is online or off. So in real life, if you are someone who gives a lot of talks or, you know, you love to go do workshops or you do corporate events or, you know, maybe you've attended book clubs and you have all of these like little pods and <laughs> little pockets of community. It's any sort of online or offline community where if you have a product to sell, they are going to rally behind you and help kind of promote and get the message out. Um, however, for agents or editors, that platform really is, you know, okay, do they have 100,000 followers? Are they, do they have a million? Actually, TED Talks and all that stuff doesn't even matter anymore Um, because everybody can do so much and everybody can make themselves look like an expert. But I have seen, you know, we've had clients that have had massive followings who've not sold a lot of books. And then we've had um, clients with smaller, more engaged followings of like a thousand or 2000. And they end up actually selling really well because the, the, the term here that matters is engage engagement, being engaged. Where do you have an engaged network? And to me, that doesn't, it's not realistic to have to like grow and amass such insane numbers because it doesn't, that doesn't really mean anything anymore. Um, so I think it's just really about cultivating some sort of community that you can continue to grow, that you can speak directly to. That's why I think newsletters are so important because it doesn't live on social media. Um, you know, having a podcast, having, having something where you have those dedicated, few <laughs> that are going to be your biggest advocates and can really help, you know, spread the message and spread the word. Well, is it not just, uh, uh like publishers and agents trying to leverage your platform so they don't have to invest in much as much oh of selling your product as, as you already have just nailed it. I mean, you know, we, we talk a lot about, it seems like we're bagging on the publishing industry a lot of times and, I mean, while that's true, somewhat. It's highly baggable, guys. <laughs> well, the publishing industry is highly yeah, baggable. baggable. I mean, I'm not even sure that's the right term. I'm so tired. I'm brain dead today. But, um, you know, uh, it's it's so true that today, you know, it's not, not a surprise that publishers do less and less and they expect authors to do more and more. So when you're coming to the table and you've already done all this hard work and they're just going to basically serve as a printing press and maybe get you a few like different pieces of publicity along the way, then they can just kind of like, you know, wipe their hands and like move on to the next book. And I think something that goes into this, which is really frustrating for a lot of like bright-eyed, bushy-tailed authors or aspiring authors or authors who've just landed an agent or landing a book deal is that you you do romanticize the process and you're like, oh my God, I just landed a deal. I'm going to have a team. Everything's going to be great. And what we know what no one talks about in this industry, and we actually have never even talked about on this podcast, is the amount of turnover within the publishing industry. 
it is a running joke, like in my community specifically, where like a lot of authors are like, oh my God, I've gone through six editors in two years. I've gone through five publicists. So I've- you're talking about a uh, high turnover internally? Within- yes, internally. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, w- which is not the, the, the employee's fault. So we always talk about, you know, we talk about publishing the ins and outs of publishing, but what a lot of people don't understand is, you know, to get hired within a publisher. So whether that means you're an editor, whether that means you are a publicist or you're on the sales and marketing team, um, the pay is usually really shitty and the turnover rate is insane. So uh, like just this week, actually, my publicist, my in-house publicist, who I'm going to be totally frank, I was not impressed with. She she has not landed me one piece of publicity for the last two books. I mean, how like I could send an email and can land. That's stuff. the job. That's the job, right? Publicist. Like it's I'm like, what do you guys do? Because I have spent, you know, again, at this point, I've always been transparent about this, but I've spent well over a hundred grand on outside publicists to aid the in-house publicity team. But my publicist just left to go to another publishing house, which is what happens. They all kind of like hop around. So now I don't have a publicist. I have a quote unquote interim publicist. My book comes out in a few months. And, you know, by this point, I'm so jaded that I'm like, ah, they're not going to do anything for this book. And, you know, that shouldn't be your attitude going into a book launch. It should be like, oh, my God, fun. No, it's no no fun. fun. You should have like that excitement and people rallying behind you. And recently I was I was looking for something in my, you know, thousands and thousands of emails. I was looking for a pitch, a book idea that I had written a while ago. And I was going back through starting in 2017, my emails to my editor, to my agent, to the uh, marketing and publicity team within my publisher. And oh, my God, it was so hands-on and so exciting and like just just amazing like before the launch of not her daughter and then I went like subsequently (laughs) year by year book by book and just how like infrequent the emails became how there was no excitement with anything and just like it 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 just kind of feels like a dud it feels like you're often banging your head against a wall it's like what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? What more can I be doing? And authors shouldn't have to constantly be asking, what more can I be doing? What more can I be doing? What more can I be doing? Because it becomes so overwhelming. It becomes not about the writing at all and not about moving on to a new project. It becomes about who's most popular on social media, who's staying the busiest, who can reach the most people, who can do the most events. And it's absolutely exhausting. And one of my good friends, actually, Kimri Martin, who just came out with, she writes medical fiction, which is amazing. She's with Penguin Random House. This is her third book that just came out. It's called Doctors and Friends, but it's about a pandemic. And she wrote it before the pandemic. So she was freaking out like, oh, people are not going to want to read this. And I was flying back from New York and I was reading People Magazine and her book was in 
the best new book section for People Magazine. Right. And I like I like screamed and I, I sent her a, a screenshot and she was like, yeah, it's awesome to get that in there. Sales aren't great, but, you know, I guess it's cool to have that. At least I'm on a list. But, but that's the thing. That is the general attitude. It's like, oh, sales, like I can't be excited because... I didn't sell enough this month or, oh shit, you know, that article came out and and now what? Now what is the next bit, big well, thing? Well, because everything you, uh, you have to somehow utilize as a launch pad to sell more. Sell more, sell more, sell more. Now, and just like one up yourself. <laughs> I don't want to suggest that like, you know, because all of these, they, all like the creative and creative media and creative uh, mediums are all vastly different and they have... Uh, lots of different ins and outs uh, and are very uh, distinguishable from each other. But I, I feel like what you're saying is is something that I've heard a lot uh, across the board. Like, I feel like I've heard it in TV. I feel like I've heard it in film. I feel like I've, 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 I've heard it even in like music publishing. I think that, th- I think that, um, and I've, you know, I've worked in, in marketing, a lot of marketing and branding for, for TV. And uh, this is a gross assumption about companies that have been in these industries for a long time while things were were good and working and not changing. Um, I think that the reluctance to adapt to the changing demands um, are not, it's not, they, not everything is calibrated to the same degree. So they have different expectations on, the creatives that they work with than what they're willing to do for their own company in the industry. So like, I do think it's interesting that you talk about these huge BMF publishers who are basically at this point trying to like, and let's look at the correlation of book sales, like are trying to like, are trying to salvage some dollars by not investing as much in their authors, hoping that their authors are going to self invest and, and help recoup some of that shit, but these same huge publishing houses are not willing to invest their own capital to bring them themselves into the, into the new age, into the digital age, into the, you know, are not willing to invest in their own platform. Um, oh, because so if you look at the social, yeah. if you look at the social media imprint of a lot of big publishing houses, the same with like a lot of like Cable TV networks or, 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 or oh my God, uh, film production programming companies, companies that, oh my that have God. been around a long time yeah. that are still like, well, this is the way we've always done it. And it's like, well, you can't expect the people that you hire to do it the new way if you're not also willing to do it the new way. But should we all like, be doing it the new way? I mean, I guess that's well, my question. Well, well, exactly not. Like, but they, they should be doing it the new way if they expect if they ex- us to do it the new a way. But yeah. the, our, our philosophy at Right Way is always nobody. Nobody should be doing it the new way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we just did a podcast episode on being human, and I'm like, shouldn't we be focusing on being creatives and and getting back to the sole intention of writing good work? And you know, I just ha- well, oh, go ahead. And and what what where is the? Um, I I feel like agents, literary agents, of like the early you know, the early 20th century, like the mid 20th century and like who were, who were quote unquote discovering, uh, who would become like legendary and monumental talent in the industry. Like where is, where has that gone? 
when we expect the clients that you expect the clients that you sign to already have to already be a legend. Like it doesn't make any, you don't ever, so you never get to discover anything new. It's no. so depressing. And, and legends aren't grown anymore. Like I look at, you know, the writers who came to be truly icons, you know, truly iconic in like the eighties and nineties. And I mean, way before then, but just like in my lifetime, the eighties and nineties and, you know, even the two thousands, the rules were so different, you know, like they, they took their time. They, um, promoted a book for several years. Like look at Donna Tart, right? Like she used to put out a book every 10 years and people would wait with bated breath or, you know, someone incredibly prolific, you know, like, I mean, Stephen King comes to mind in terms of just like cranking out like book after book after book after book. But I often think if some of these infamous authors were to break into the industry today, to try to break into the industry today with no no real platform, starting where we're all starting from, would they break be able to break into the industry? Would they have so many fans with so much to choose from? Um because yeah, think of who who we'd lose. Who who would we lose? This, and who are we who age. are we losing now? I mean, I feel like you know the rules have changed so much for even what what agents are looking for, what editors are looking for. I just had a conversation last night. I'm I'm going to be doing a um, a panel on writing outside of your experience, and I was talking to two black women that are on the panel, and one of them is a sensitivity reader for corporate America, for um, novelists about being diverse and inclusive in their language. And we got into this huge conversation about race and what what we can write and what we can't write. And like we get on, you know, everyone's tired of white voices, but she was talking about kind of not having a problem with how the industry is capitalizing on diverse voices because it is still a good thing, but it almost seems like a hot commodity to be not white right now. And, but then we got into the conversation of like, can white people include stories um, of other cultures if they're not in that culture? And can black people, Asian people, whoever it is, do the same thing and write about a white person's experience? And, And we were just going kind of back and forth. And it really just made me think of, you know, literature that I grew up on because I've always been entrenched in a ton of diverse voices and how it really used to be about the art and about the story and not about all of this, like, gosh, just, I mean, I just feel like there's so many rules and regulations from what you can or cannot write to (laughs) who, like what kind of deal you might or might not get, how you were paid today, which is so abysmal, um, you know, compared to how it used to be, to how your book does in this super saturated market. And then, I mean, it's just exhausting. It, it seems seems very exhausting. And, you know, we're here to really empower authors to navigate and find their best path not only to publication, but to feel good about what they put out into the world and to to feel really grounded. And one example I have of someone who, you know, continues to do it his own way, which I think is the is the lesson here, is really 
finding a path of creativity and putting your work out there that feels good to you. But we have a client, his name is Pete Wilkins. Um, he came to us or came to me specifically years ago with an idea for a book called Purpose First Entrepreneur, which was, you know, a, a great, especially a few years ago, it was very much so in that entrepreneurial space. And he has an incredible background. And then we were on the path. He, he decided to self-publish it. And then he got so sick from, he, he got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, got a, a really rare side effect from it, um, for COVID and was hospitalized and nearly died. Um, I mean, had to learn to walk again, had to learn to talk again, and it pushed his book launch way back, but he has just come out with his book and he is treating it just like it truly is a long game. He's only doing things that feel good to him. He is only like utilizing his immediate platform. So he's not trying to be all things to all people. He is speaking to his actual readers. He is speaking to his actual audience. And I think if we can do that, if we can continue to be intentional about how we put our work out into the world, how we create our work in the first place, and realize that some of these expectations that the industry has don't necessarily apply to you and it's not one size fits all. And I think that's the big takeaway at the end of the day is like, you know, these double standards <laughs> that the industry has and all of these demands, like you don't have to say yes to any of that. And I've I've really like taken a step back. I, again, I was, I was talking to these two women and listening to how they network constantly here in Nashville and like go to these writer meetups and, you know, do like absolutely everything to network. And I was like, oh my God, uh, you know, we did a podcast on being an outsider, but I'm like, I hate all that shit. <laughs> I don't, I don't identify with a lot of writers. I never have. Like we went to school for fiction writers and I'm like, I just don't necessarily feel like I belong. I do not like networking. I never have, I think, standing around talking about writing. It feels like a giant pissing contest to me a lot of the time. And it is. It and, is. And I'm just like, ugh, I don't, I just don't like it. And I'm like, shit, can I make it? Can I have a successful career if I don't do any of this shit? If I'm not an active part of my writerly community here in Nashville, if I do things differently, like it really... I kind of had that panicked moment, like, because I'm not doing this the way everyone else is doing it, what does that mean for me? Because I tried it the way, I tried the new way, especially when I launched, I played the game, I got on Instagram, I killed myself responding to people, I got to know my readers, I did all the <laughs> events, I bent over backwards as much as I could. And while it was, it was fun and I got some good things about it, I don't have the energy for that anymore. And I, I like see that it works less and less these days. So I'm like, I just kind of don't want to do it. And if I don't want to do it, then what do I want to do? And where does that leave me? Because everybody else is doing it a different way, the new way. I think you said something really interesting and it's something that's actually come up for me uh, a few times in in work stuff over the last maybe like three months or so. And it's that, it's that term one size fits all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which yeah. guess what? Doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. I don't know why we think, and here's the, here's the problem though, is because 
And our society, and I hate to like go macro again with this this shit when we're talking about, you know, we're specifically talking about the industry, but like in our society, especially, I mean, globally, but like America, here's looking at you. Um, uh, we have our our quest for growth, um, not the good kind, like the accumulative growth, accumulation. Um, has left us really with no other option but to put value in a phrase like one size fits all. Um, and it's really, 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 really fucking frustrating for me because it's at no point, like that is not, it's not even remotely possible in any context for a single thing in reality to be one size fits all. It just isn't. And I think this is such good advice for you to say what you're saying because that's the fucking truth. And because success in the publishing industry is not predicated on following all of these rules that they say you have to follow. And let's, I mean, let's take like the fucking elephant in the room. Let's take social media. And guess what? You can, people can talk all day about how success on social media, that there's a, there's a, a like a, a, a distinct, like ROI equation with social media. Like all you got to do is like engage. All you got to do is like post every day. You got to be consistent. You got to have your audience. And guess what? You can do all that. And it can never happen. And then some fucking stand-up comic from Minneapolis living in Hollywood, sitting in his underwear in his living room, can send one tweet and fucking blow up. Oh my God. So, so, so and I guess what? I think there are no metrics. Well, and what you just said is so right on. And I think if people could do this one thing, it would be pretty revelatory, myself included. So a lot of people now are, you know, on TikTok and, you know, they have viral videos and they're blowing up. And if that works for you and you want to put your time and attention into that and it's serving you in some way, a hundred percent go for it. But someone like me, like I got on social media late in 2017, I've amassed only like, I don't know, 13,000 followers organically, but my (laughs) engagement and the algorithm has changed so much that I have seen so much less ROI over time. Um, my Facebook author page has grown like like a, t- like a teeny, 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 tiny amount. Our newsletter has grown just a teeny, teeny, tiny amount. And it's like, okay, I but I have invested money. I have invested time. I have done all the quote unquote things right that you're supposed to do. And I still haven't gotten the the growth that I see other people just like, boom. So for me, instead of like banging my head against a wall and trying to figure it out, I think what I think that means is this isn't the path for you. You're supposed to figure out something else that feels good and uh, partly too, because I don't like it. So if I'm investing time in something I don't like, well, of course I'm not going to get the results that I want. And of course, I'm not going to be consistent with it. But I think I hate that blanket statement that you hear all the time, like, just post consistently and speak directly to your audience. And that doesn't work for everyone. And it's a time suck. Like when I as a parent, when I 
have a choice between scrolling on my phone or posting something and spending quality time, I'll say it a million times, I'm always, always going to choose the quality time. And the fact that we live in a society that reveres followers and, you know, making money and all this shiny bullshit versus spending time with the people in our actual lives like that, that I can't reckon with. And that's what really, really is a, is an issue for me today as an author and what it means to play this game and play in this arena is because of all the things you are expected to do that don't feel great to a lot of creatives and don't feel great to a lot of writers. I, I mean, most writers I know don't love to like put themselves out there so consistently and why would we why would we that's not i i mean i i'm not a this again this this goes back to one size fits all like guess what i don't care if it's a single thing a single step or a whole process there is no thing like that that exists in this realm that works for everyone it It just doesn't wouldn't it be so crazy and amazing if like your there was a publisher out there who like took time to sit down and asked you about your goals and what feels good to you. How would you like to promote this book? What would you like us to do? How can we best support you in this endeavor? Or better yet, like, don't worry about it. We've got it. That's what we do. <laughs> like, that would be, you know, so I incredible. mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what you're talking about, unfortunately, sounds simultaneously what a publisher should do and also what no publisher in the current marketplace does. And I know there are some smaller publishers that definitely can like rally behind you and and help you and be more personalized and and tailored, but I mean I I know that it's not all on the publisher because like us, we have a lot of clients and we are a teeny tiny team. And so with publishers, yes, there's a lot of staff for most places, but they're often again underpaid and overextended. So, you know, things fall through the cracks and and you have to develop some sort of formula, some sort of blanket, one size fits all formula that you're going to apply to most authors, not the chosen few, but most authors that kind of just like get brushed under the rug. And it's, it's a real shame. And I mean, I feel like more and more people listening to our podcast are probably like, oh my God, publishing a book sounds uh, awful, awful, but, but it's, it's really going in with your eyes wide open. And I'm trying to actually troubleshoot this issue and work it out. Like as we're talking about this, because, you know, I have a book coming out in February and I'm, I mean, this is, this sounds so crazy and ungrateful, but like, I'm not even really excited about it. Cause I'm, I'm like, I don't know what kind of launch I want. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like it's, it just kind of seems like rinse and repeat, And I'd love to do something radically different. I'd love to do something that I'm super, super passionate and excited about. But it's, you know, at the end of the day, it all comes back to sales. And you can be as passionate as you want. You can do as many events as you want. You can connect with as many readers as you want. But at the end of the day, if you do not meet that sales quota, it's gonna, you're gonna be hard pressed to continue to have a successful career. So, until publishers step up their game. Don't stop writing. Everybody stop <laughs> Yeah, writing. seriously. I mean, literally, we should go on a strike because no, until publishers on step up to the plate and help authors sell books, 
this cycle is We'd just going to be perpetuate. Off. Of course. We, I mean, think about what. So I think about this. Just, just think about this if you're listening to this. If you're a writer and you knew that if you wrote the best damn book that you possibly could and you were able to land an agent and that agent was able to sell your book and that your publisher was going to market it well, they were going to have the best damn in-house publicity team that you could possibly imagine and that they were going to sell your book the, like to the best of their ability to your target market and that you could move on and continue to write and continue to create. I mean, that I mean that's kind of how it used to be and I feel like everyone's like, well, it's never going to be like that. It's it's just different now. But why? Why not? Why can't it be like that? Why can't we figure it out? Well, it can, and I think you're I think you're setting forth a really interesting call to action because I don't while I don't think this is a this is obviously not a call to action to strike. I think it's a call to action to tell writers out there everywhere everywhere to find your people. And I think it's important to note this in all the industries that like the the companies that continue to like drain the lifeblood of the art are the ones that we keep going back to because they've got name recognition or they're the you know they're the big agency or they've been around or they repped so and so and i think it's 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 start it's time to not only like be creative in our writing but to be creative in our path to publishing and I think you're right, Rhea. I think like go in with eyes wide open and don't just don't go in myopically. Don't go in with like don't go in with such a narrow field of vision that you're like got to be a New York bestselling author. Learn what that really means first before you chug a lug down that like, you know, single fucking track road uh, because, you know, it may not be it because it while it it simultaneously may not be what you expect. And it also is just kind of feeding that beast. And the, the only way that we slay that beast is to fucking ignore it and go <laughs> yeah. somewhere else. And I, I mean, I think for a lot of people, they're like, well, yeah, I'm just going to go self-publish. Like that's what I'm going to do. But I, I've said it so many times. I think that is so fantastic. If you do have the right people around you and if you can hire a really great team, but that is also, you have to wear so many different hats in that endeavor and usually spend quite a bit of money as well. And I just think there needs to be a better solution than having to go it alone or be at the mercy of an industry that I feel doesn't really have your best interest at heart. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> what do we do call now? to action motherfuckers email us with your call to action at podcast at rightwayco.com that's w-r-i-t-e-w-a-y-c-o.com uh and let us know where you sit uh, uh what side you're on in the coming <laughs> revolution against the publishing industry thanks guys Hey, thanks again for listening to The Right Way Podcast. 
don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and comment and help us continue to deliver the content you want and need. And for more information about RightWay, visit rightwayco.com to get more info on all our editorial and developmental services and sign up for our weekly newsletter where we'll be sharing exclusive content, access to digital courses, and offering proprietary resources for aspiring and established writers. 